Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. This is episode 375 with returning guest, Dr. Joe Whitcomb. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Great to see you. Um, you are the Johnny Appleseed of, of <laughs> therapy. You're you're going around Europe, you're healing people, you're planting seeds, you're you're in Spain now. It's hard to keep track, right? You're in Spain. I am now until the end of the month, and then on April 1st, I will be moving to Corsica, France, which is kind of my first love because I first learned French when I was like 17, 18. Fell in love with a Parisian girl from Montreal, Quebec, or in Montreal, Quebec. And yeah, so I'm kind of going back to like my first love, French. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you go to France and you don't fall in love, you're doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I've never gotten it right so far, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> maybe maybe either, right huh? there. Maybe, maybe my backwards will be perfectly right in France. Sometimes maybe it's, it's... maybe I'm on the right. Maybe I'm the right seat, but just the wrong plane. Right, I got to get on the right plane. Yeah, <laughs> two, two ships in the night. You know, suddenly you dock and uh, magic happens. Who knows? Um, I, I just really appreciate you, you know, you're, you, I, I want to spend a little time talking about this. I know this is dark, but like after you had a thriving therapy practice in uh -huh. California and yeah. you were helping heal people's marriages. And yeah. then after you got divorced, not only did you lose cash from that, you lose your house, you got to pay all this stuff. Then all your clients leave because they're like, if you can't figure it out, you can't help us. Yeah, what the right. hell am I going to listen to you for? That's right. Doctor, yeah, heal thyself. This, this yeah. yeah, sure. Know thyself. And then this tumbled into you, you know, being homeless and then incrementally um, climbing yourself out yeah. from that to where you are now, which is just a, a thriving success story, you know? So I'm just yeah. like very inspired yeah. by you. Oh wow! Thanks. And I like that idea of incremental incrementalism because it does. It's just you know, growth is you know, there's there's sort of like showing people and growing people, right? Showing people are sort of they're put together, pretty sweet, and then you have growing people, and we're messy. We're just messy because we're constantly growing. We're not we're not sort of some straight line. So my life has been sort of had been pretty messy for right for the beginning. And and that was what I call the perfect blessing and just the right gift, because that gave me a chance to kind of when I uh yeah, I was part of a really big organization. We had about sixteen thousand people and uh I was kind of overseeing about three hundred couples and we were doing um and I sort of ran like two of the uh, counseling centers for this huge organization. Yeah. And then once it kind of came out a year later that, you know, my wife and I had amicably divorced mutually. It was a, a it was agreed upon. But uh for some reason they thought that was <laughs> that <clears throat> my punish the punishment uh wasn't enough. So they they uh they did a pretty good job at at uh at uh you know, causing some harm, but you know, I I decided when they went low, I was going to go hot. I just said, 
went to higher ground. I did have to go underground for about four years. It was really hard. Uh, I slept in my BMW X5 on the beach, and that's where I met you or <laughs> singles. I finally decided to come out of my shell when I met and start trying to explore and date. And, and I hadn't, you know, and the reality is I hadn't really known how to date. Uh, last time I dated, I was 18, you know, and all the rules had changed, you know, and, and the way dating is and how it was when I was 18, uh, what we used to do is now considered sort of uh, stalking or behavior and boundary, you know, as we could go outside and it'd be really romantic standing outside with a radio. You can't do that now. You get a TRO, <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm so. old school. I'm an old school guy. Like, I, I, I think the best thing to do is, you, you know, know yeah. be outside, like learner routines, like with binoculars, you know, like hide in a bush. Like what? That's romance. That's called romance. But I don't know. Maybe I'm behind the times. Well, I just think you got to find the right fit, right? And flow, the right person, you know, who's going to, you know, want the same things in a lot of ways. You know, because most people, you know, we're, our differences are made up of lifestyle differences, value differences, personality differences, all those things sort of running amok. But yeah, it was pretty hard, you know. And then after I had, and, and also as prior military, uh, so I'd spent two years in the army and eight years air force. And so I had some military, I, I have a hundred percent military, uh, connected, um, uh, disability for PTSD and some other things that occurred during that time. So yeah, it sort of hit, I hit the wall, right? I really hit sort of, uh, yeah, I, I went pretty fast to Dante's ninth hell in a, in a pretty, pretty straight, shot uh for the first year was pretty hard and then and it was the interesting thing about it too i was in my doc i was in my dissertation i was doing my doctorate at the time um in my dissertation i was still running uh, uh marriage intenses of 300 people and 30 people living on the beach you know uh trying to pay off my debts and keep my child support up and running which was you know, it took a long time for me to figure out how to, you know, because when you're married, it's like your partner is there and they sort of, it's like a house sort of has this scaffolding, right? And you sort of really forget that you sort of depend on that scaffolding on the house to kind of keep your life intact, right? But then when that scaffolding falls off, it's like, how do I keep that house, right? And that was my dilemma because for 22 years, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, my, my wife was sort of like the boss of my brain. You know, she was the, in charge of where my brain just, cause my brain sort of works more like five inches wide and a mile deep. So anything outside that five inches. So she was kind of catching all the debris and I didn't realize how much she was doing until she was gone. Right. And now I'm in this homeless state. I'm trying to learn how to become an adult. You know, the military trained me and they had that structure and those processes. I got married, had structure. And I got put in this world where I didn't have any structure and I didn't know how to create it for myself, these boundaries. I didn't know how to do that. Uh, and so this incrementalist, this, this kind of idea of gentle pressure applied relentlessly, just kind of growing through the 
growth, right? The growth is sort of that incremental betterment or being. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I started getting really crazy. I just started, not the way I was like, going because in my doctorate studies, I was studying about trauma and I was looking for alternative medicine. I was looking at all this stuff to try to heal, you know, whatever was happening inside, but I still wasn't the dragon. And I have this big red dragon <clears throat> right here when my trauma comes out and he's big, he's red, he's hot. His name's Bono, right? It's, that's his name, big dragon. <laughs> Do you have one? You know, you know when you get upset. I have triggered. a, I have a wolf pack. I haven't named them yet, but yeah, there's a dark passenger sometimes. My dark mat, my dark passenger is Bond. He's a dragon. Yeah, he's pretty scary. When he's pretty, when he's uh, not doing too well. But uh, yeah, I so I went through that. And it was funny. I was I, I started to just do a lot of research. I started doing bio, uh, bio. I was doing uh, acupuncture, uh, uh, infrared saunas. I was getting into speed VR. dating. I just, yeah, speed dating. I, I even went out and started. You know, I was taking. Uh, I was doing some podcasts, and. Uh, in, in in school and for my my programs, and I had asked my daughter to listen to my my podcast to give me feedback because she was in a uh, sort of in a in a, uh, a speech class, right, drama. And I said, "Yeah, can you give?" Because I wanted to teach her or show her, model for her coachability, right? Because I want to be coachable. So I told my daughter, "Can you just coach me on on how well I did on this podcast?" Right? I'm expecting her to come back and give me. Some really cool stuff and she said she goes her name's megan she goes you know dad you got pretty good logos ethos and pathos but you're really not funny oh a knife <laughs> in the side no i loved it i said oh that's great that's perfect that's great <laughs> okay so what do i do about it you know i'm all in my head and you know i'm just kind of tight and constricted and she and she had some really good advice. She said, "Dad, I think you need to go take the comedy class, like improv or stand up." I said, "That's wow, that was great." So this is when I was homeless too, so I, I went and signed up and for improv and for stand up, just just so I could not to be a comic. I just wanted to again incrementally grow another part of me that was sort of shut down, like my authentic part of me that was really. And so she did it. And part of that was also to show her, you know, to model, you know, coachability to my daughter. But hey, it's okay to take feedback from my kid, you know. I did it. It was fun. But that was another incremental uh, sort of step that moved me forward in my healing journey. And then the VA came around and picked me up off the beach, and put me in a, uh, in a, uh, for nine months into a homeless shelter called Best Volunteers of America in La Cienega. Ah, it was awesome. <laughs> That's a totally different story, man. Bed bugs, everything. It was interesting. I took, you know, I went in there with the attitude to serve. So I got an anger management class going for the, and these are all veterans. So we were getting like an anger management class going, a uh, trauma class. And, you know, 
fun leaving a little everywhere you go, right? We got a sword, right? Penetrate the world. Man, you got you got to be yeah, you gotta be of service. Like uh, I work every morning at Richard Lord's boxing gym. I'm the janitor and I'm the third string mick guy and everything. And um I watched uh so I just started training this girl uh and she has uh she's like Asperger's and she like would not talk at all. She wouldn't talk to anybody. And just from tough love and coaching, I coach her the exact same way I coach Golden Gloves boxers. So I'm getting emotional. But like we do the same stuff. We go southpaw, switch feet, this, that. And she's like, can do shit that's like incredible. She picked it up like a sponge and she's fearless and she just listens to what the like she's coachable, exactly what you're saying. And not only is she talking now, she's talking shit. My yeah. friend Jared, my friend Jared, yeah. like he has a little, you know, this slight is he's fit, but he has a little belly. And she walks up to him and she goes, <clears throat> Oh, you look pregnant. When's the baby do? Walks. Like she just drive by, destroys people. My friend Colin was like panting on like he's very fit, but he was like panting on the side of the uh the uh ring because he's exhausted. He did all these exercises. She walks by, she goes, Boy, you're really out of shape. Keeps walking. She's like, I'm like so proud of her. And like boxing not only taught her how to talk, stand up for herself, have her own opinions, but now she's talking shit like a like a frat boy. I'm so proud of her, you know? Yeah. That is really cool. How old is she? She's like 21 or so. 20, 21. All right. All right. Would she would she be embarrassed if we gave her a shout out right now? No, AJ. Ooh. I love you, AJ. She knows that I'm her main trainer and like, you know, she lives with her grandparents and she like has like a kind of a small kind of circle. But like, I think boxing and being at the gym with like actually trained killers is, is just doing wonders for her. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Well, she has something that's super important, right? That these kids need to be able to feel safe and connected. Right. So when they feel safe and they feel connected, that's when they start to thrive, right? So you've created a safe environment. You've made her feel connected. And now she gets to thrive yeah. in that environment, that secure base that you created for her. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, speaking of this, like I, I was, you know, I'm still active in the comedy uh, scene. I have a show uh, March 25 and I'm very into that. But like, I also realized like there was a part of my life where like I got broken up with of my longest relationship. I was going bald and I was like to fix the baldness. I was like wearing like a, a cap with lasers on it, you know, to, yeah, it worked. To, it, no, it, it, it did shit. And, and I was going to speed dating and I run into other uh crotchety old man and then um but i was trying to (laughs) i was trying to fix my life and i go i go i can't perform comedy without community and confidence so i then i just what what helped me through my baldness and all that was i shaved my head and i went to muay thai every day muay thai kickboxing at the muay thai academy of america because i realized i needed confidence i need to get over this baldness shave my fucking head and i'm like i don't you know i can be I can be bald and fit and look like Jason Statham. He's doing great. I'll just do that shit. And so it, I don't want to be bald and fat. You know, I want to be bald and fit. I can deal with that. So, but then another thing happens from intense exercise is you get these flush of endorphins. So then you're like, you're happy naturally. 
And then when I came back to comedy, that, then I could get over the relationship. I could get over my body image shit. But yeah, it's you got to show up, man. Oh, yeah. 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 Can't be half-hearted about any of that, you know? No. No, you get one go. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, humans, they project, they um, project ethics and personify animals. And I've heard people say, like, oh, I don't eat. I don't eat deer. I don't eat cows because they take care of their young. But I eat crabs because I saw a video of a crab just going like this. I'm, 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 I'm eating its babies. I'm, 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 I'm. So I'm like, fuck crabs. If you don't care about your own goddamn babies, why should I care about you? I'll just eat you. Fuck you, crabs. Yeah, right. So yeah. we as- we ascribe morality to everything. So we like project our own like, you know. I know people that eat fish. Well, they eat their babies. They eat their own fish eggs. Fuck fish. You know, I'll eat them because they're just (laughs) mindless, whatever. So it's hard to roots for people as well that sabotage themselves. You know, if you're not, (laughs) if you're not incrementally trying to get better, like I just read this story about how um, Steve-O is touring with Bam Margera and, um, he was trying to keep him sober and like he he flew home from australia because bam margera just could not get out of the bar getting fucked up doing drugs with his son he's got a five-year-old son and so steve was like i can't yeah. be a part of you getting fucked like blacked out in front of your son like I now so steve went home back to los angeles and um you know, I had a roommate who was slamming heroin and I kept trying to be his, I kept trying to get him out and, and come to boxing gym, do frisbee golf with me. Hey, why don't you keep going to that job? And he just wouldn't, he would rather, um, hard to save an annihilist, isn't it? It's hard. What? Does to save an annihilist who's determined to annihilate self annihilate. Yeah. yeah. And so this, this thing of incrementalism, it's like the, it's, it's bigger then then the little thing like you go from homeless to like literally traveling in a different city in europe all the time because of this ethos i go from like the depths of depression to having confidence and i was like bombing comedy shows i was drinking too much i was like in the grief of losing this girlfriend and all and at the same time my hair is falling out so it's probably all the stress and all that but whatever but like Muay Thai kickboxing, like snapped me out of it. It just did. Like, I can't say it a different way. And then I went to uh, grad school at, at the University of New Orleans and got my MFA in screenwriting. And uh, wow. I dusted myself wow. off. Congrats, what? That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Good job. Awesome. For three years. Um, oh, wow. So. All right. So this. Uh, so then here's what happened. So. My mom calls me out of the blue. Oh, so my uh, my screenplay that I wrote was called Mom's Photo Shoot because my mom, you know, she turned my sister's um, wedding into a photo shoot for herself. And um, because that's uh, so she was told not to walk down the aisle before my sister at her wedding. And Mm. then she hid in a bush and ba 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 ba. But then she walks down the aisle before my sister. And it was like, Okay, that's how much attention you need? That was your mom? That's what happened, yeah. Oh, wow. And there was like a rehearsal. Okay. So, you know, so there was a rehearsal dinner, and I was the best man. I was the best man, so I was flanked to standing in a certain position. 
And I heard this whole thing of that she was planning on doing this. And I was like, don't do that. I think your seat is there. And then she was I'm like, where is she? Where is she? So um, anyway, so she called me and said, Eric, I found, you know, are, are you on drugs? So she called me and just like it, it, it accuses me of being on drugs. So I, I really took that to heart because like I just told you, I my roommate was slamming heroin and it was a nightmare. So she knows that I'm, I go, I, I have three jobs right now, Joe Wickham. So like, mm. um, uh, you know, so I got mad. So I decided, okay, so you just call me out of the blue and you made up bullshit about me. So I'm going to call her out of the blue and make up bullshit about her. So I go, mom, I found out. And she goes, what, Eric? I go, I found out that you're running a brothel out of your job in the strip mall. I found out, like I found out. And she goes, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. And I go, mom, you know, I put it all over Facebook. Don't worry about it. But I exposed your secret. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Click. She calls. I wound her up so much that she calls everybody in the family, besperching my character and all this stuff. But then we started emailing. And um, but before I get to that, um, so we're going to we're going to role play out this email. Um, And uh, before I get to that, I want to play this clip. That may hopefully you can put your listening ears on. But um, my mom, you know, I try to help her. And my mom was having relationship problems with her boyfriend in Florida. And so I enlisted the best person I know how to solve this, the funniest comedian in New Orleans, Geneva Joy. And uh, this is my comedy special called Fart Porn in Beer Halls. And I'm going to show you. I keep meeting people and like, for instance, I met this one guy and I had to break up with him because I wasn't sure that he wasn't homeless. Anybody else had that problem? You know, running into homosexuals? They got the government cell phones now with the touch screen. They are on Tinder, Grindr, OkCupid. They are swiping out of lease, not lust. Lease. Like this one motherfucker would come to my house, and this is, uh, this is several reasons I broke up with him. He was homeless, but he got a little job, and he worked at the at the churches. And he would come to my house hungry, and I'm like, motherfucker, you work at churches? Shit, you be bringing me like chicken or something? You know what I'm saying? Like he ain't never showed up with no biscuits, no no fucking jalapeno peppers or nothing. You know what I mean? Come to my house asking me what's for dinner? Churches, bitch, really? <laughs> Nice walls. What kind of compliment is that? Get your homeless ass out of my fucking house. He only came over when it rains, you know, shit like that. But I was still desperate for love, even though he didn't bring me shit. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna make him some food one day since he don't bring me no chicken, and I'm gonna fall in love. And I started to, I really did. I made the meal, I looked at it, I was about to call him, and I was like, wait a minute. I could fall in love or I could have leftovers. <laughs> I chose the leftovers, flat out, fuck it. I chose the leftovers. But you know why? Because good dick can get you through the night, but a to-go plate will get you through the whole weekend. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I did my math and I chose wisely. Okay. Um 
had this, <laughs> wait, I'm doing the wrong character. I have to do my mom. Okay. Um, it, <clears throat> Eric, uh, I, I, I said you did, Bill. Okay. What, how do you respond? Not so. I'm a shit son. Cool story. You asked me if I was on drugs and I was supposed to be cool with that? Well, shit's done because my brother and I didn't flank you down the aisle of my sister's wedding when the rehearsal told me to do otherwise. Our cystic personality disorder is a mental health condition in which people have unreasonably high sense of their own importance, right? They need to seek too much attention and want people to admire them. People with this disorder may lack the ability to understand or even care about the feelings of others. But behind the mask of extreme confidence, they're not sure of their self-worth and are easily upset by the slightest criticism. Sounds familiar, huh? Well, let me tell you this. A son who was raised knowing he has to show respect for his parents shows respect for his parents. You have known that. You always feel entitled to everything. There's never a payback. I just, you, all it is is you give me attitude. I work hard for my money. I don't ask anything from anyone, including my boyfriend. I contribute for this household. I have never borrowed money from my parents. You always forget, Eric, that your parents do for you. And you always talk about, what your father gave you. And I have all the statements of all the money I've given you. Again, you if you learned respect, we would probably have a different outcome. Even with his father's death, I bet a mutual friend was respected at a children's wedding. And you are an angry man. And I can no longer tolerate it, even... $15 you laid out for me with a woman talking about a homeless man she banged. I'm sorry. I can't relate to it. Excuse me. I've had three lovers in my life. Oh, excuse me. They all had good jobs. Okay. And they didn't smell bad. Look, I apologize for saying you were shit son, but uh, you can't let anything go, Eric. Listen, I can forgive you and forgive anyone who's honest about their shortcomings, but I cannot co-sign a fantasy world. And when I don't agree with your false version of events, you start to abuse me. So what's that's why I can't forgive you. You escalated the fantasy world to include me walking down the aisle. As the best man was told to stand in a certain place. And you said, because I didn't, I'm a shit son. I'm, dis I'm disrespectful. Well, you got to look up the wedding prodigal, Okay. It's tradition. I know you didn't learn any respect for women from your father. And I do take blame for that culture in our family. Uh, I should not have accepted it. And I should have made sure we separated earlier. And I should have found a man that did respect women so that you would have emulated that behavior. Now, this is the core of the issue. You continue to blame dad for breaking the established wedding protocols of the rehearsal. Should you have been separated earlier? Yes. Did you intentionally ignore the rehearsal and blame everyone else? Yes. I would still like to get married in the future. My wedding protocol will be the antithesis of traditional. I'll have a rehearsal to make sure the guests play the roles I design and desire. 
And I fear that you'll break the protocols to harvest undue attention and blame me for hating women. Well, you don't have to worry about it. I will not go to your wedding, so please don't worry about it. I wouldn't want to be you festering about whatever I did wrong eight years later. It's not good for your health. <laughs> well, if you can't dominate my wishes, ignore my rehearsal, you want nothing to do with, with me. That's what I thought. And scene. <laughs> I did. I did. I was just, I was just, I was channeling Eric. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My mom showed up. Thanks, mom, for being a part of this. Bye bye now. Um, so, Look, you you just did telehealth therapy all day today for 12 hours. You had 12 clients in a row, 11 clients in a row. I don't know. Is this a theme that comes up? Like, am I typing, hitting some archetypes of what you deal with? Um, well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, these patterns and cycles can exist. Uh, in any dynamic relationship, whether it's a, you know, now you guys are a parent, you're in a, you're in a, obviously in a parent child dynamic, right? So you were kind of born and raised down here in a one down position, right? Mom's yes. been taking more of a, more of a sort of a one up sort of position here. Thank you. Right. right? So where are you trying to position yourself? But thank you. Right. So, all right. Okay. Did I share my screen? Sure. Oh, uh, maybe I have to make you the host to share your screen. Hold on. Make host. Okay. Change host. Okay, now you can share your screen if you want. So, yes, it's a power dynamic. That's that's what I said there. I think if you can't dominate my wishes, you want nothing to do with me. I mean, can I say it any clearer than that? Well, you can, but what you're doing is speaking from a one-down position. You're not in a here, right, or down here. So we have these sort of like, uh, I'm going to see if I can pull up this, this desktop. Uh, can you... Can you see that? Am yeah, I sharing sure. that now? Hold on, it just went away. I see your screen, but it's just right. about blank at this moment. Can't see that. Okay, stop sure. I'll just forget about it. Okay, so I want you to kind of plot this into like a grid, right? So you and your mom, um, it's really valuable if I could grid it. But if we were to grid this, let's say in your dynamic, right? So let's say there's a center line here. These are the boundaries, right? Your boundaries, uh, where the bound a boundary is like a psychic line. It's there to protect me from mom and protect mom me, protect me from mom and mom from me, right? So two ways. So the boundary can be sort of more boundaryless or porous or more like intrusive, like a hailstorm, right? Or it can be more walled off, like a turtle or love avoidant. So you got these two extreme type of boundaryless and sort of uh, walled off, right? So right. where your mom is very, 
And then you have a vertical line here. This is about our self-esteem, right? At the bottom, we have like our shame. And at the top, grandiosity. So your mom tends to plot, if you were, kind of in a one-up and boundaryless stance, right? Which is going to be more critical, demanding, and relentless, and, uh, and demanding. And you might be taking, because of your natural stance, you're taking a power dynamic of a one-down, walled-off, right? So you're in this one-down, walled-off stance, and she's in a one-up. And this is what you two get in the conflicts about, right? Because she's sort of keeping you in a one-down position. Is that it? Yeah, and then her thing is like, well, you'll always be my son. Like, I'm always going to be your mother. And it's like, I'm 37 years old. Can we put take the foot off the gas of the mother thing and just like be friends and equals and colleagues now? But it, it, I feel like it's, there we go. All right. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. right. We got this little chart that we're going to plot out here. And I don't know if your audience can see this, but when we're looking at relationship dynamics, right, you're going to be typically have a person who's more, uh, more anxious and preoccupied with the relationship and someone that's more of an avoidant, more distanced and walled off. Right. So you can see in this quadrant here, your mom kind of falls in that grandiose, walled off, one up, or the boundaryless one up position. We kind of give that, the, we call that the wrecking ball, right? So they're trying to destroy everything. And these are, and these, these are what we call sort of your stance in your relationship. You have a stance, she has, and then yours in that sort of one down sort of, walled off stance when you're in relationship with her might be more resigned or depressed or anxious right and then when you're reacting you're going to pop up to this high horse of dismissive cutting off and being you kind of cut mom off and say stop off mom you're right you're sort of dismissing right so you get into this little vicious cycle there where she comes in with more unbridled self-expression, retaliation, control, and then you might go to more withdraw and being right, unbridled. And you both sort of have this one-up sort of unbridled self-expression. You just have to be right. All right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm right because I followed the protocol and she thinks she's right because everyone should have respected her more and the protocol should have been her way. So, and if people respected right. the, the parents, then it would, then she would have got a spot. So. Mm. <laughs> right. Well, is that a cultural thing? She said, is that, I mean, you guys, she said that was kind of a family cultural thing, this protocol. What is a prodigal wedding? A prodigal. I think it's something that she cherry picked to that where the mom walks down before the bride. So it's like when I when I say yeah. it, it wasn't the rehearsal, what the rehearsal said, she comes back with, "Well, I cherry picked this tradition, so you're breaking tradition." So and she found mm. the prodigal mm. tradition where the mom walks down first. Mm. So that's that's the cycle. Boom. Noah, mm -hmm. I'm not the wrecking ball. I'm on the high horse. And then mm -hmm. I go, well, you broke the tradition. You're the wrecking ball. I'm the high horse. Mm 
And so she she tries to, you know, even though it's pretty cut and dry in my opinion. Right, right. Well, I mean, we can kind of look at a lot of dynamics, I think, that are common, right? In in the marriage realm, we call them Gottman Feld and the four horsemen we talk to, right? There's a complaint, there's defensiveness, there's uh, contempt, and then stonewalling, which is the ultimate form of domination because now we're, there is no growth or movement. You know, it's sort of a gridlock. Um, and that's where relationships sort of get into that sort of what you see here, that sort of stance, stance, dance, and it gets really sort of stuck. And you guys have a lot of triangulating going on, right? Like, you know, triangulating is where you brought everybody is getting involved, right? And instead of mom just, you know, everyone's trying to stop mom from doing something, <laughs> whatever that is. And so everything sort of evolves around stopping mom. Right. And what I think, that? I think she maybe manufactured this to, in my opinion, it wasn't there. She didn't. She wasn't being adulated enough during her daughter's day. To me, that's for me, it's like, do whatever she says. It's her day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so I felt like being protective of my sister, but then my sister totally let it go. And then I was the best, you know, for a minute. She's like, yeah, let her do what she wants to do. And for the totally, that is the final say. But um, again, that, that bit about, um, it's hard for me to reconcile this like but if if i i told her like on the phone like if i wanted to have my wedding be on a trapeze um and then your job was to you know sit here and and throw the ring up to the trapeze artist i expect you to do that and then if you're climbing up the trapeze without a harness it's like wait a minute this isn't in the script <laughs> you know what i mean it's like oh right. but you want the high horse position that it's like, well, if people respected women more, then I could get away with it. It's like, oh, uh, that's like right. unbearable gaslighting because it's like, oh, so I hate women because you broke por- protocol. So it's like, and it's like, well, there's a culture of it. everyone hates women. It's like, well, when, you know, respect is earned sometimes, you know? Well, what are you guys even fighting about at that point, right? Who knows? <laughs> like, Who knows? It's just, you guys, it's, it's, this is, uh, yeah, it's like this, you light a firecracker and they just all start going off at the same time. It didn't no. matter what you guys see about, it's just sort of an affect contagion. You just kind of uh, fuel each other that way, which is part <laughs> of the fusion, you know? <laughs> but the cycle, one of the things that we look at though, we, uh, and this is some of, uh, my good, very good friend, Terry Real, he's a psychiatrist at Boston. He designed this whole thing on, uh, but we're talking about the cycle of, uh, and, and this is true for families as well as your, your, your intimate partnerships as well. So this can go anywhere, but the cycle of harmony, disharmony and, and repair, right? Um, uh, the repair part is super important because, I mean, harmony is not really sustainable and, and disharmony is not if, but when. Um, but, and then when, how do we repair when we get into, these sort of uh, disjuncted stances, right? That there is no, that where there's sort of this impasse, a gridlock, 
and now you're in this vicious cycle again, right? But we want to, first we look at the disharmony and what kind of fuels that negative cycle are these sort of five losing strategies, right? I mean, there's probably dozens more we could come up with, but these are pretty solid that we can look at. So we look at from that one up position and walled off is that kind of being that position, that stance being sort of being right, right? So it's like you're arguing about an objective reality. I mean, there's no, you can't ever find the truth in there because it's an objective, okay? And, and it's grandiose posturing, sort of that one-up, again, stance that you might take with somebody and learn to take that, take it down a little bit so you're both sort of in a healthy zone. Does that make sense? So that, yeah, yeah. that being right. And then you want to read that next one? Control. Control, withdrawal, retaliation, unbridled self-expression. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, will you read control? What's in the, what's in, in the corner? Control. Clingy, desperate, anxious. No, no uh, forcing rather than inviting. Forcing, right, the control is in that one there. It has the five losing strategies where it says being right and then control underneath it. Yeah, uh, being right. I think we're looking yeah. at different things, maybe. Oh, maybe you can't see it. Can you see it? Okay, hold on. Let me bring this back up again. All right, let me bring this up. I thought I was still sharing the screen. I guess I wasn't. Oh, there we go. Okay, five losing strategies. Um, control forcing rather than yes. inviting, direct or covert manipulation. Right. So that's another pattern, right? Because most of us think in relationship that we're not controlling. <laughs> mm. Everybody is controlling everybody, right? And we all control everybody. We're all controlling whether it's directly or covertly, right? It's the unstoppable force and the immovable object. Who's controlling it, right? So a lot of times the control, the power struggle between you and your mom is this, you're, you're, there's this sort of forcing, you know, rather than it, it, the unforced rhythm of grace and of inviting somebody to engage, right? So. Hmm. So. You asked me, right? So this is like, how do you, that, that pattern there gets running? And that's part of the, just that keeps it in the disharmony, right? And a lot of times in families, like it's, uh, they grow up and it's, uh, you know, sometimes in relationships or families, things go, you know, they're good. And then sometimes things go bad and they resolve and restore, repair, get back to good. But it's, when the, the bat sort of stays back, that's when we need to be concerned because it doesn't get, it goes to ugly and there is no resolution back to good or the repair or back to harmony, right? So this is where we're kind of like, how does, because in my family of origin, we never, we never learn how to resolve things, repair it or reconcile it or move it from bad to good again. So this is about, how do we get the relationship back to good, right? So this is about letting go of the control, that one up, one down, 
stance. So Eric, when you look at this stance here, this pattern right here, control, can you see that in my yeah, hands? Yep. Okay. So what does that look like? It looks like rock, paper, scissor, like someone is bashing the others, the other down, taking them down. Okay. Yeah. It can look like that. Now, this is the, the one down position is we would kind of go child, parent, sinner, mm -hmm. saint, mm -hmm. lover, beloved, bottom dog, top dog, right? Coach, you know, um, uh, athlete, whatever. Uh, sure. Um, all these one up one, that dynamic is really powerful when we look at it because this is what, what are you fighting for to control to get back to get back here, right? Yeah. Or, or, or maybe ante up and go one up to get control, right? I think I'd be happy with this. Right. That would be. I'd be happy with this. I feel like if it's not that, then then um, yeah, this has, this is yeah, this is sort of a one up, one down, over, and it can look like over functioning and under functioning too, right? Mm -hmm. Or overbearing and under you know. uh, overwhelming and underwhelming. Yeah, mm -hmm. lots of over under stuff that can go. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on the control thing, that's kind of more from the one down and boundary. Level. That's the controlling, more clingy, anxious, desperate. That's more like a sticky hand trying to stick it against the wall and connect, right? Mm -hmm. And pull it, pull it. And then pull it, right? Yeah. Pull it. Instead right? of incrementally... <laughs> Gaining yeah, someone's exactly. trust from doing yeah. the right thing. Right. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Tr exactly. Because trust is built in small incremental moments. So how do I repair my relationship with my mom, Dr. Joe Wickholm? All right. Let go winning, right? How can you and your mom kind of create some space for you both on kind of remembering you're both on the same side and, you know, because I think the miracle obviously, obviously is going to be a shift in our perception and how you view your mom, right? And how she might view you. And from fear or love and how you're seeing each other. And if you can see each other's innocence and not the guilt. Mm. Make requests instead of controlling. How do we make requests, not demand, right? Where you can advocate instead of from that one down walled off position, right? I can advocate for myself more skillfully, right? So like, like I'm trying to like do this with mom, I can advocate and give each other something to say yes to, like an improv, right? Yes and. Hmm. The yes and brain is awesome. Um, when when you're dealing with conflict, because it keeps things more generative, open, flexible. Not because when we're in that sort of stance, right? Our bot, we kind of go into, or we're doubling down. The sort of um, the uh, adapted child 
had to learn to be more black and white. You kind of see this black and white, all or nothing, all good, all bad, rigid, tight, and flexible, right? It's tight in the body. There's rigidity. You ain't going to get, you know, it's really a power struggle. And so then we want to learn self-containment, right? So the boundary again, instead of the unbridled self-expression of that you see a lot of times of venting and dumping complaints and barfag approach to communication, the harsher startups, right? Just try to soften that approach where there's a self-containment. Now, again, the boundary isn't there just to protect me from the world, but a boundary is also to protect others from me and my harshness, my mm. anger, my meanness. Right. And to bring more of the empathy and emotional intelligence to it, you know, but you guys have a parent child dynamic. So it's really different because you got to really work through the, um, how do I, because my parents, I'll tell you a secret about my parents and stuff. So when I was a kid, whenever time I go back home in Minnesota, I feel like I'm a little 16 year old kid. Right. I totally relate to that. I totally relate. Right. And then when I'm rebellious, more of an one one down and well and boundaryless, I'm sort of sneaky and shaming about stuff. So, but I go home, you know, and every time I feel like I'm 16, so I had to go. What am I going to do? Because they're not going to see me any different. I can't change their perception of me. They're always going to see me as the six-year-old black sheep of the family who ran away. You know, they're just, I'm back. that's how they're seeing me. So I can't, but I can change how I am, how I show up. So I had to start thinking about how do I set some healthy boundaries and how do we work through the contempt and how do we forgive and respond and engage more to take, you know. And um, so I, I got home. I had to fly home to my daughter's uh, graduation. She was 18. I was probably 38. I was 20 when I had her. And I flew in from L.A. to Minneapolis. And my parents, uh, when I was growing up, they had this really tight restriction on me. There was not a lot of freedom. So... um, and I would always feel really super guilty if I had to leave the house. I want to go spend time with anybody. So usually my vacations with my parents were miserable because I was just sequestered to my room or to the, you know, someplace to, and I want to go hang out with my friends and my kids and whatever. But this time I thought, well, I got to do it different, right? So this time I thought, well, I'm going to start thinking about sort of advocating more for myself with the boundaries. And I was probably 38. I flew in and and I had this plan to take my daughter bowling into like TGI Fridays or something. It was a Friday night. So I thought it'd be a good idea. So I told my parents, I said, hey, I'm taking my daughter out for bowling and TGI Fridays. And my dad's like, no, you're not. You're staying home. We got an early morning. We got a lot of stuff to do. We got breakfast and mom, right? And I'm like feeling like this kid again, right? And I'm going, Dad, it's okay. I got this. This is my daughter. I'll be back. You and I, I gave him a time. We'll come back in the morning. We'll set up three hours. And then we'll have our breakfast. And I'm going to go see my friends. Right? I'm I'm dictating. I'm, I'm setting the limits and the boundaries. 
and they laugh and we get along just fine and the boundaries worked out. So I was had a chance to kind of grow up in my eyes and set a limit. But then the next thing happened. Guess what happened next? You I missed go to my breakfast? mom and my dad. No, no. I turn to my dad. I go, dad, can I borrow the car keys, please? Okay. Look at my hands. I'm holding my hands out. How old am I again? I'm 16. Hmm. I'm asking my dad for the key. And I'm like, I'm 16 again. I'm pissed. Okay. So I had to grow up and rise up in my own person and go rent a car and not depend on my parents instead of getting angry at them for withholding and manipulating me. I'm like, I'll take charge of that. I'm going to go get a car. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be pissed at them anymore. Because they're not, I got to, so what I do, I got to go do the adult thing and rent my own car if I don't want to be handing in the keys. Right. Their rules, their, their house, their rules. Right. And then I took it a step further. I'm like, now I feel like now I just, I stay in a hotel and I go, <laughs> and I set it up. And it's not that I don't love them. It's just, I need that space to have, you know, and that's adulting. That's the rising up and standing in your worth and standing in your truth, but also not offending from, not from an offending place where you're, Bending from that one down, walled off victim position, right? Where your ineffective cry for help doesn't work. Right. I'll rent a car, I'll have a hotel, and I'll show up to your breakfast because that's the event that's important to you. Adult right. stuff. That's it. So I got to set up a right. scenario where my mom can win and we can enjoy each other, I think. You know, it's funny yes. because my friends are going to yeah. get married in Baton Rouge. Maybe I should, or in, uh, in Louisiana, maybe I should invite my mom yeah. as my date. That would be such a beautiful repair. Hmm. It's it's hopefully it doesn't turn into a traumatic reenactment and we can get it right this time, you know? Well, or maybe it does. <laughs> and, and you can hit the reset button and pull back and try again, right? Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's the beauty of hitting a hit building a reset button in your relationship. You can hit it and then kind of walk it back a little bit and say, can I try again? And then go try for the prayer again. Because you're going to mess, you're going to fuck it up probably 10, 20 times. Anyway, so until you get that corrective emotional experience a few times more, then it'll sort of start setting and become your second, become more of a natural part of your relationship. But people give up the incrementalism. you got to fail at it 10, 20 times and have a corrective emotional experience to because without that incrementalism you give up right without that gentle pressure applied relentlessly you got to keep again because you want this ideal snapshot picture of the ideal in this frame right this is what we're fighting over being right about yeah and yeah when you fight over being right hers. nobody wins well, she has hers, right? But you're both protesting for this. So trying to let go of, and trying to come alongside and see, hey, what's your perfect snapshot picture? What's your, what, I want to see what your movie is about, right? I'm more curious about that than offended. Hmm. Ugh. It's almost like you're a therapist. It's almost like you're a great therapist when I talk to you, you know? 
I love you, Dr. Joe Wickham. Thank you so much. I, ho- I hope I hope that's what you were looking for today. I Absolutely. Just... Absolutely. I mean, uh, I drew inspiration from uh, Norman Bates. You know, I, I slipped into the role of my mom for healing purposes, and I did it in front of the, the best guy possible, who plays a goddamn good <laughs> Eric Hollerbach. Um, so... <laughs> Um, how can people find you on the social networks, Dr. Joe Wickham? How can people find you if they need if they need help? Good question. I'm a little mysterious as these have. I, but if they do want to get a hold of me, uh, Telegram or WhatsApp is the only way. Okay, so that's 310 or plus one, 310 560 0726. My website is www.relationshipsociety.com Relationship Society um, and then we do right now I'm just doing telehealth only and couples intensive retreats on on Grand Canaria and um, I'm not Grand Canaria, Tenerife and um, Corsica, France so I'm doing weekend stuff, bringing people out doing weekend excursions putting them on doing like these really fun putting like boats we go out we do therapy for like four hours on a boat on some blue water you know working on relationships healing you know just give them a piece of heaven and give them some things to do to connect and have fun um and so you can find me also or email me at joe at relationshipsociety.com Joe at RelationshipSociety.com. You can find everything to do with me at EricCollerbach.com. The calendar's got dates. Um, I have a sponsor, Auntie M's Edibles. Go to Auntie M's Edibles. Get yourself some trays where you can make your own gummies. You can dose them with CBD oil and use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C, for 25% off your order. We're also sponsored by Robin Hood. I have a link at EricCollerbach.com. Click through the link. Get free stock if you want to uh, buy and sell stock yourself, taking your power in your own hands. Um, this has been Highway Diary episode 375 with returning guest, returning champion, uh, the only guy I trust about relationship issues, Dr. Joe Wickham. No, thank you. <laughs>